Well, it would be really helpful to have your Bibles open or your Bible app at John at Luke uh, chapter 19 as we continue to look uh, at the Gospel of Luke and encounters with Jesus. So we're up to the uh, second last week in our series as we prepare for, for Easter, so Luke chapter 19. And there's also an outline on the back of the news, so if that's helpful, have a look at that. But right now, let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for the incredible news that Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. Lord, this day, please, in the power of your Spirit, would you really help us to further understand the depths of your grace, the initiative that you have taken, that we might welcome Jesus right into our lives. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is really hard to pin Jesus down. All throughout the Gospel of Luke, we've witnessed this. Uh, Jesus spends time with surprising people, people on the inside and people on the outside. Jesus does all sorts of surprising things. Sins are forgiven, people are healed, the dead are raised, evil is evicted. Jesus makes all sorts of surprising claims, not least three times predicting his own death and resurrection. And so up to this point in the Gospel of Luke, if you just read up to chapter 19, it would be really easy to just form the sort of view, the point of view, that Jesus just went around, bouncing around, going the flow, doing as he pleases, letting the moment dictate his purpose. But make no mistake... Jesus has a purpose. Jesus is on a mission. The people he spends time with, the things he is doing, the claims he's been making, are on a collision course with the place he is going, Jerusalem. That's where he's on the way to right now at the beginning of this encounter with Zacchaeus. So Luke tells us that as Jesus enters Jericho, says he's just passing through. He is passing through on the way to where? Jerusalem. And whilst it would be easy to think that this is just a little detour on the way to the main destination, it's actually that this encounter with Zacchaeus that really crystallises and points to the very purpose of why Jesus has come. So, look, we're only starting in the uh, sermon this morning, but let's do something really sneaky, okay? We're going to jump to the end of the passage and then work backwards, but we've got to hang in for the whole time. That's the agreement, okay? So, really sneaky. Let's go to the end of the passage, verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, that is is Zacchaeus, too, is a son of Abraham. For the son of man that's Jesus, who came to seek and save the lost. So hear that? As, as people were trying to make sense of this encounter with Zacchaeus, Jesus is in effect saying, you're all confused and cross about this, but this is what I want you to take away from it. The point is not that short tax collectors can climb trees, but that Jesus' purpose is to seek and save the lost. It's extraordinary. In this encounter, we see how the place that Jesus is going, the cross, comes together with the purpose he is pursuing to seek and save the lost. 
And as Zacchaeus gets bundled up with that, the incredible news is that his story can become our story. Zacchaeus was lost, saved, and changed. So first, Zacchaeus was lost. Would you have a look with me at verse 1? Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, when I hear that Zacchaeus was short, I have to say immediately I've got quite a lot of sympathy for him, okay? Um, If you haven't noticed, I'm vertically challenged. I have been all my life. And only to make matters worse, my last name is Low. Uh, Now, and what can only be a real kindness of God, uh, despite having 12 years of schooling, of primary and secondary schooling, those two facts that I'm short and my surname is Low, no one seemed to ever put together. But whilst Zacchaeus' famous lack of height may be part of his cause to climb, it is not the most important thing about him. For Zacchaeus was both rich and lost. Tax collectors might not seem particularly popular today, but in the context of the Gospels, tax collectors were despised. For not only were they seen as collaborators with the occupying Uh, force of Rome, the oppressive foreign ruling authorities of that day, but tax collectors have had an accurate reputation for extortion, of of ripping off their fellow people. So Rome didn't really care what the tax collectors charged so long as they got their cut. And if you didn't agree to pay it, well, the Roman heavies could be called in to enforce it. And to make matters worse, We're told that Zacchaeus wasn't just any ordinary tax collector, but a chief tax collector. So that means that he had a crew of tax collectors working under him. He wasn't just a cheat, and he admits that openly just later on, but this is organised cheating at scale. So whilst Zacchaeus would have been incredibly rich, he was also incredibly unpopular. So note... In verse 7, when everyone is is muttering that Jesus has gone to Zacchaeus' house, they say that Jesus has gone to the house of a sinner, they're thinking, he's an outsider. He's long gone. You know, this is a pro-Jesus crowd right here. They're thinking, yikes, what is Jesus doing? He's wasting his time. In fact, he's not just wasting his time. This is really offensive, Jesus. He's the last person, Zacchaeus is the last person you would expect to become a believer. Now, it's not that he wouldn't have had any friends. I'm sure he had plenty of people around him in his circle who shared in a similar prosperity or power, or perhaps just those people who wanted to hang out with Zacchaeus because they thought it could be socially advantageous to them. But this is not the sort of person you would immediately, by default, expect to come to faith. Perhaps there's someone you know that, if you really might not want to outwardly admit, but kind of admit that you've given up on a bit. Some of you think, they'll never come to faith. Perhaps someone's so enamoured with their wealth that you think there's going to be no place for God. Or perhaps someone's just so longing for wealth that it seems to you that there's nothing that they won't do to pursue it. You know, someone 
who seems materially rich, but spiritually broke? Well, they might seem too far gone for you, but they are not too far gone for Jesus. And Zacchaeus, well, there's something in him which causes him to want for more too. He's curious. He's, he's seeking Jesus out. Verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, I don't think I've actually ever seen a sycamore fig tree. I may have, but I didn't recognise it, that's for sure. But I have it on really good authority that they look a bit like a mulberry tree, okay? So if you haven't seen a sycamore fig tree, think of a mulberry tree. Now, actually, if you go down into town, in the centre of town in Toowoomba, so at the corner of Ruthven and Margaret, just in front of uh, a coffee shop there on the corner, near the ice cream store, there's actually a mulberry tree. Isn't that amazing? Right down in the centre of town. So just imagine that, down in the centre of town... Zacchaeus clambering up that tree. Can you imagine what people are commenting, what people are saying? What is Zacchaeus doing? That's what children do. Wealthy, powerful blokes in the first century don't climb trees. It'd be a bit like someone like maybe, you know, Clive Palmer uh, coming into Toowoomba and then scurrying up the, the trunk of that mulberry in town in order to catch a glimpse of some dignitary passing through Toowoomba. It's easy to think, well, Zacchaeus is just peeking in. He's just staying safe on the periphery, on the edge. Maybe actually, heart of hearts, you feel a bit like that with Jesus. You think, oh, actually, I don't want to get too close. Maybe you think, oh, I'd much prefer to be an onlooker. I like to remain at arm's distance. But I don't think that's all that is happening for Zacchaeus. Because in order for him to climb that tree, he would have left his pride on the ground. Zacchaeus was willing to climb up regardless of what people thought. If you're here today, maybe you're joining us online, and you're peeking in, you're, you're curious about Jesus, then I want to say it's likely cost you something to do that. It, it likely took some courage to do that. Maybe part of Zacchaeus knew he was lost. Maybe, heart of heart, everything he had held on to hadn't really delivered on what had been promised. Perhaps wealth and power hadn't cracked up to be everything that his world and his culture had told him that it was. But whatever the cause, when Zacchaeus responded to who Jesus is, it would result in him being saved. So verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So I just want you to imagine this scene, just imagine how phenomenal this is, because it really is incredible. Uh, the crowd is there, they are packed along the road, there would have been people absolutely everywhere. But out of all the people crowded in, Jesus looked up. Isn't that the most amazing phrase? Jesus looked up. Jesus sees Zacchaeus. 
Jesus notices Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus can't just stay on the fringe. In fact, no one can. If you're taking a peek at Jesus, he's not indifferent to that. He doesn't just look up and see a short, rich, unpopular bloke peculiarly perched in a tree. But he looks up and he sees a lost person who needs to be saved. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, up to this point, you could easily think that it's Zacchaeus taking all the initiative, you know, he has clambered up a tree. But do you think it's any mistake that Jesus is there? I mean, it's great that Zacchaeus got to the spot, up the tree and over the crowd. But Jesus hasn't just come to Jericho from the previous town, but he's come in order to seek and save the lost. Jesus has come from heaven to earth. He's God in flesh. Jesus is the one who's ultimately seeking. Jesus is the one who's ultimately taking the initiative. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're here today, you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to take a moment to reflect on that. You know, the reason that you're a follower of Jesus is not ultimately because of uh, your parents or something you attended or something you did or read or listened to, but the ultimate reason that you're a follower of Jesus is because he sought you. And if you're curious about uh, Jesus, I'm so thankful that you're curious about Jesus, and you've taken a step, and if you're wondering, is God interested in me? I have the most incredible news. Yes, of course he is. In fact, he's been seeking you long before you ever considered it. You're not here or listening to this because you... Uh, simply clicked online or perhaps you were dragged here by, you know, a friend or a family member or something like that or you're dutifully attending with the rest of your folks. But you're here because Jesus has sought you. Have you stopped to wonder, how does Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? Imagine Zacchaeus' heart when he heard his name. His heart must have been racing. People around him must have been shocked. But what Jesus says is incredible. He's emphatic. Come down immediately. Say, don't hesitate, Zacchaeus. Get cracking. No longer time to be distant. Uh, When Jesus says, I must stay at your house today, he's not merely inviting himself over to dinner or to pop around for tea or something like that. Uh, Not only is this significant really culturally for who you ate with really truly mattered, but the word must carries the weight of divine imperative. The people around are muttering, so they're all softly complaining, but it can't be too softly because it's reported here. You know what they think about Zacchaeus? They think Zacchaeus is a lost cause. But that makes Zacchaeus precisely part 
of Jesus' cause. In fact, without Jesus, we're all lost causes. And so Zacchaeus responds. Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I love this scene. It is such a spectacular moment. you really got to visualise it. Imagine you're there. I remember as a kid in primary school, growing up, and not only was I really short, but I also was really introverted. And I often and regularly felt incredibly excluded at times. And one night in particular really stands out to me. In many ways, this is a very small thing but it always stands out to me. My uh, mum, who is such a great example of faith in my life, was working night shifts as a nurse at the time, and my younger brother and I were dropped off at family daycare whilst mum went off to work. And when we arrived at at that home, uh, the family there were just about to sit down to dinner. And I remember that when it came time for the meal, my brother and I just sat in the living room and watched. Now, we weren't neglected, okay? We had eaten before we got there. And, and the family weren't ignoring us. They were really lovely, a really lovely family. But there was something in that moment in which I felt right on the outside. In fact, I remember sitting there crying. Zacchaeus... He was an outsider. Now, in fact, he'd done a lot to keep himself separated from God and even his people. And alone, there was absolutely nothing he could do about it. There's no amount of money that could repay, that he could pay to restore the relationships he'd broken. There was no amount of deeds that he could do to set himself right with God. He needed someone. He needed Jesus to look up and call him by name. It's an amazing anticipation of the great words, the great vision in Revelation chapter 3. As Jesus stands at the door, we hear Jesus say, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That's what Zacchaeus did. The word for welcomed here, it carries an amazing sense of receiving Jesus. And so Zacchaeus is not just sharing a meal. There's something about Zacchaeus welcoming Jesus into his life, of of repenting. Now, whilst Luke doesn't spell that out in in detail, we can join some of the dots here, not only because it's obvious, we see the fruit, we see the change in his life in response to uh, being saved, but actually, also, we know that it's a response because Jesus pronounces that Zacchaeus is saved. So we're not left guessing. Jesus says, today... Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. A son of Abraham uh, means not simply someone who was a, a descendant, 
but someone who's been reconciled into God's family through grace, that they've responded to God's grace in faith. Through Jesus, we see God's yes to all of those promises. Through Jesus, we can be all saved into God's family and have a seat at that table. And the result, well, the result is a transformed life. Zacchaeus was lost, saved, and finally, he was changed. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and I have cheated anyone, anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So Jesus is not saying that because he has done these things or promised to do these things, he's been saved. That's really clear. But Zacchaeus is clearly acting in response to being saved. So what he's promising to is the fruit of salvation. But the speed in which this kind of sinks and then gets reflected in his life is really uh, staggering. So here is, here is Zacchaeus, who for what seems a very long time has been very distant from God, so far from God. Uh, he's made his life's purpose at great cost about money. But now, having set his eyes on Jesus and received Jesus into his life, the salvation that he has grasped is now ricocheting and traversing through his entire life. Um, as Luke records this, I think it's almost like watching you know, an Instagram Live, of, of the Instagram Live equivalent of the first century, of, of what this looks like for Zacchaeus to be working out in real time, of how this grace of being saved is to be reflected into his, his very life. Uh, we're witnessing how this reality that he's saved is taking a grip on and reorientating and reordering his life. So, so notice here that him being saved, so putting his trust in Jesus, is not just some sort of private, interior matter, but as grace plummets deep into his, into his heart, into his mind, into his will, into his hands, his whole life, it then flows outwardly, it's being extended outwardly to his exterior life. So when it says in, in verse 8, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back. Okay, this isn't Zacchaeus subtly acknowledging the remote possibility that he's defrauded people and that he'll pay them back sometime in the distant future. Now, this is Zacchaeus fessing up and he's acknowledging the wrong he's done and is committing to correcting it or at least addressing it straight away. So note he's addressing the wrong he's done, so he's paying back four times, uh, which is in fact more than what would have been expected. But he's also addressing the good, so giving to the poor, which he hasn't done. It's a uh, really stark contrast to the rich young ruler, who when he asked Jesus what he must do to be saved, he walks away because Jesus said he must give up his wealth. Why? Because wealth was his God. And he wasn't willing to displace his wealth to make room for Jesus. But Zacchaeus, 
Zacchaeus, because his heart and his eyes are now set on Jesus, is willing to take his heart and his eyes off his cash. What was everything to Zacchaeus has now become nothing because he has found the most valuable thing. So notice, this is a costly turning around, turnaround, but that's what grace does. In fact, there shouldn't be any room of our lives that is left untouched. There should be no room of our life that is left untouched as, as grace and the effects of grace sink deep and weave through the fabric of our lives. So that means that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, that's the lifelong work of sanctification, of growing in the likeness of Jesus, of grace coming in and reordering our life. When we welcome Jesus into our lives, we are to welcome into every part of our life. So how we spend our money, of our family life, of sex lives, of work life, our all our priorities, our plans, our decision-making. And just like Zacchaeus, we're working that out live too. <laughs> year by year, month by month, day by day, hour by hour, of how grace comes in and reorders our lives. And of course, we don't do that alone. We, we do so delighting that God has sought us first. We must start there. And we do so in the very power of the Holy Spirit. I can you imagine the next day after this, I imagine it was the next day, when Zacchaeus uh, calls a team leader meeting with all his employees. Imagine how that day went. It's like, oh, hey, guys, uh, just a bit of an update, although they've probably heard by this point. Uh, there's going to be a few changes around here. No longer are we going to take more than is needed. We're not going to treat people with contempt or, or call the heavies in anymore. And in fact, we're going to give money to the poor and we're going to pay people very generously back who we have defrauded. Imagine that team leader meeting. That would have been fun, wouldn't it? Imagine the whole town. Imagine the whole town from this day forward. They are watching on with suspicion. Can you imagine? So after being swindled for years by this guy and his crew, imagine how transforming that would be. How was this possible? How can Jesus take someone like Zacchaeus and save him? How are outsiders like Zacchaeus and us able to have a seat at that table? Because God took the initiative. He came to us. He not only knows our name, but he knows our heart. He sees that sin that breaks our relationship with him, that hurts those around us in our world. And Jesus doesn't just walk by, he doesn't ignore us or put us in the too hard basket. But you know what? After Jericho, he kept on going to Jerusalem. He shared a meal with his friends, was betrayed, tried, and went to the cross for us. He didn't climb a tree, he hung on the tree because it must be done. Abandoned by his friends, hanging on the outside of the city, Jesus became the ultimate outsider 
so that we could be on the inside with him. If you're a follower of Jesus, and right now in life it seems really costly and hard, it just feels really costly and hard to follow Jesus, I really want to encourage you, and I really want to invite you to dig deeper and look again at this incredible truth of God's love for you. I want to encourage you and invite you, won't you revel in the one who has sought you out? Remember that, he has sought you out. Won't you delight in the extent of his love? Don't just try harder. Revel in his love. Because when we do that, it affords us the most incredible freedom to let that grace sink in, permeate and be expressed through our lives. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and you're with us today, I'm so delighted that you are, it's really simple. Jesus has sought you, died for you, and is inviting you into relationship today. Today could be your Zacchaeus moment. Will you come down from the tree? Will you welcome Jesus in? Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, how we thank you so much that in your great kindness and your love that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, that he came to seek and save us. Lord, please help us to grow in our wonder and awe and understanding of that truth, of that reality, that in the power of your Spirit, for those who are already passionate followers of Jesus, that in the power of your Spirit, Lord, that that truth of your grace might sink deeper and deeper into our hearts, our minds, our will, our lives. Lord, if there's a, a room in our life that we are just keeping off limits to you right now. Lord, may we have such a trust in your goodness that we swing that door wide open. Lord, please continue your work of sanctification in us. And Lord, I uh, so pray for anyone here today who is not yet a follower of Jesus. Lord, I thank you so much for them. I thank you that they're here. I thank you that they're taking a peek in. I think that they're, they're curious, and for whatever reason that they're here, we acknowledge, Lord, and thank you that you are the one who is ultimately the cause. Lord, we thank you that you have sought them and are seeking them out. Lord, we thank you for the extent to which that has taken you, that even onto the cross. And I pray today, Lord, that that person might be so willing to come down from the tree that they might rejoice that here you stand at the door and knock. May they open that door. May they receive you gladly, welcome you in, that they might have the certainty of salvation and that you might begin your work of transformation in their lives. Lord, thank you so much for this good news. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.